Hello, and welcome to The Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture in order from the very first award ceremony to eventually the present year. I'm Susan Raslin. I'm David Daw. And I'm sick. Yeah, and not just because of the movie. Womp womp. No, but, but we are... Trudging ahead because I want to not have to think about this movie anymore. So I will do this podcast with bronchitis and a sinus infection. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So this week's movie is The Informer, a 1935 film sort of about the Irish War of Independence. Sort of. That's one of many frustrating things I want to talk about with this movie. And I think the thing I want to avoid is not necessarily cursing, because right off the bat, fuck this movie. (laughs) But the notion, I think, that I can get a little bit into just increasingly hating a film over the course of a recording. And I want to try to avoid that tone while still making it clear that this was a very bad film. And it genuinely offends me that it won any awards at all. Well, you have a theory, actually, as to why that happened. (laughs) Oh, sure. Really workshopping it through this hour and 30 minutes slash 10,000 year film. (laughs) I came to the conclusion that probably somebody at RKO Pictures just kidnapped a family member of each and every Academy voting member. (laughs) And held them for ransom in exchange for this movie getting nominated for anything. And for a while, I thought that that theory fell apart because this didn't, in fact, win Best Picture, although it won Best Actor, Best Screenplay, Best Director, and Best Music. But then I realized that if someone had kidnapped my family and demanded that I vote for this for Best Picture, I probably would have really struggled with the sort of moral... (laughs) Real Sophie's choice between literally letting my family get killed and voting for this film for best picture. (laughs) Because boy, oh boy, do I not understand. It's one of those things where even the test of time, even the length of time between this film and the modern day, just cannot square the circle for me on why anybody thought any of this was any goddamn good while i was watching it i kept thinking that it really had a lot of the qualities of some of the very early movies that we watched for screen test of time oh yeah absolutely people didn't really know how to act on film yet or how to write for a film yet and you know everything is just like painted sets and they haven't like figured out other shit yet but no that's not the case anymore we have claudette colbert we have clark gable we have frederick march people know how to act on film now we have fucking cleopatra like they know how to make incredible sets i mean spoiler alert the one that really pisses me off is the best actor win but the best director win is so baffling to me because this is such a like 1928 1929 directed movie where Everything is so boringly staged, except for a couple of big showboaty shots. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And the big showboaty shots are, they're fine. But, like, we don't have to do that anymore. Frank Capra already directed a movie. Yeah, exactly. Like, we know how to write and direct 
for a film. <laughs> we've we figured this out at this point. Um, it reminded me so much of The Racket. Yeah. It's good directing within the stable of bad directing. <laughs> and, like, honestly, then, as the movie went on, I kind of couldn't even give it that anymore, as the superimposition, like, special effects were just so... Oh my god, Susan. Like, I have a tendency, when I use a number... <laughs> To use an exaggeratedly large number on this podcast. Like 10,000 years as the length of this movie. For instance, when I say that this movie has literally dozens of shots where somebody is thinking about something and the director's like, well, everyone in the audience is a fucking stupid moron. So I have to superimpose a shot of what they're thinking about <laughs> over the rest of the film. I am not exaggerating. It literally happens dozens of times. Yeah, it does. It does. What's fascinating to me is how not only did the Academy give way too much leeway to why this happens but critics at the time including graham green who is like one of the more brittle critics who ever lived and like a decent novelist but you know he had that whole like british snarky thing down really well loved this movie and critics called it expressionistic and i think that that's what they're getting at is like oh, well, there's these moments where somebody is thinking about something, but because we don't trust the audience to understand at all, we have to superimpose it over the shot of them thinking. Calling it expressionistic is generous in the extreme. It's just insulting. <laughs> yeah, it's so insulting. It happens sometimes multiple times within the same scene about the same thought. Like, oh, in Ugh. case you forgot... From 10 From seconds 10 ago. From 10 seconds ago. Literally 10 seconds ago. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not great. Should we give the plot description here? Sure, because it's, it's extremely short. This movie wastes so much of your time. It's 1920, the sort of Irish war for independence, the IRA versus the... I, I always forget Brown and the English. Yeah, what well, I forget what they're called. <laughs> I remember they're the English. I forget the black and tans, like the drink. The black and tans. That's I always forget the new the two colors. I always want to say black and browns, which isn't great, um, but is better than forgetting the English exist. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, our lead Gippo is uh, used to be a member of the IRA. No, his name is Gippo. Right. Jippo. But spelled G-Y-P-O. Got kicked out of the IRA for refusing to kill uh, Black and Tan. And now is sort of penniless on the street. Sees a wanted poster for an old friend of his, who we learn is an old friend from a superimposed shot of them drinking together. <laughs> who is worth... 20 pounds. God, we're going to get into how that is simultaneously 12 bucks and $8 million in this film, and decides to rat out his friend. His friend gets killed by the English. Uh, he feels guilt about it, but takes the money. Uh, and then basically the whole rest of the film is waiting for the IRA to figure out it was him. And then at the very end, he gets killed. 
and there's a lot of detail in there that we'll go over, but most of it is deeply uninteresting. Yeah. He has a girlfriend. He and the girlfriend are ostensibly going to use the 20 pounds to run off to America. That plan is never even a little bit acted on. But they do dream of it, which you know, because there is a time where he sees a poster that's like, Travel to America, 10 pounds. Right. Which is convenient since he's getting 20 for turning in his friend. In today's money, it would be almost 850 pounds. Okay, then- Which is like, I'm sorry, that is not enough money for me to rat out a friend. I think that's true. And it's also a thing where it's like, this guy buys a full round for two separate crowds of over 50 people. And that's less than half the money. Like, I don't, I don't know. I mean, beer is cheap. Well, sure, but one of them is at a high-class party where I'm not sure, what, but I guess he doesn't actually ever pay for that one. That's true. That's true. Also, why is there someone to buy beer from at a party? Yeah. This movie is full of shit like that where I'm just like, I realize I'm nitpicking when there are so many nits. <laughs> You can't help but do it. Well, it's that, and it's also, the movie doesn't give you anything else to focus on or think about. There's just these long scenes where nothing happens, but our lead gets to swing his arms around and play a bad drunk again for ten more minutes. This movie would have been infinitely better if, um, oh, what is his name from The Jam? Oh, yeah, Wallace Beery. If Wallace Beery had played the lead in this movie, I think it would have made this movie a billion times better. It's also just, this isn't a movie. This apparently got remade as, like, a Playhouse 90s-style 50s one-hour drama thing, like, 80 times, and I fucking get it, because it's about that much plot. Yeah. Like, it is this character study with about 40 minutes worth of stuff happening, but then at 90 minutes, you have all of these bizarre scenes where he'll, like, go to his friend's wake, drop money in the middle of the wake, go, I got that money fair and square, no one should suspect me, and then everyone in the room goes, well, we don't. Why would we? And it's like, why wouldn't you? Oh, it's because he can't be found out for another hour. Right. But like everyone has to be such an idiot and learn so methodically that it was him because we just have to have a middle third of this movie because otherwise it's not a movie. The middle third is so pointless and insulting and such a waste of time that you have really no choice but to think about all the specific details in it and how little sense they make. The specifics become the only thing to focus on because there's not any real plot. The fact that Victor McLaglin, I guess is how you say his name, who plays Jippo, got best actor for essentially like flailing around for two hours is infuriating. <laughs> I will say I the actual reason why this happened is that year best actor was this one other performance from a movie I don't even think we watch and then three separate performances from Mutiny on the Bounty. <laughs> and so it's just the first time the Academy learned, oh, we can't do that. But at the same time, I honestly don't get how that was enough of a handicap. I don't get how just splitting the vote three ways would get this guy enough votes to win because the performance is actively bad. Yeah, yeah. I gave him shit for his drunk, but his drunk is way better than his, like, suspect, but not actually, like, 
He's so guilty constantly that it's incredibly distracting that people let him ever leave a room. Like (laughs) when he is first confronted by the IRA, his lies are so transparent. He's so clearly making it up on the spot when he accuses somebody else. Every single thing he does is like, I would like to inform you of your drink. Informer? Who said informer? There's no informer here. How dare you? I'll kill you. I'll kill you all. And then people just let him leave. It's insane. Yeah, it's not. It's not. a. It's not good at all. And there's not even. Oh, I'm trying to find like anything nice to say about this movie. And the thing is, like, I guess the nicest thing that I can say about it is that it's not as actively offensive politically as other movies we've seen. No, and we're going to come back around to that after I give you my full list of five things to say positive about this movie. Oh, good. I'm glad you made a list. One, the RKO Pictures logo. Always great. It's just, I love it. I've always loved it. It's a good logo. Yeah. Two, the lighting in this movie is really genuinely spectacular. If they won Best Lighting, if that was a category, I'd be fine with it. Yeah, there there is some good lighting. Two, uh, sorry, three, its portrayal of the actual politics, when it bothers to do that, is very good. Yeah, oh, absolutely. The most effective scene in the movie is the death of the friend. Like, that's a fantastic scene. It was good enough that I'm like, maybe they're going to turn this around. They didn't. But it was good enough that I thought about it while the first 10 minutes were already so insulting I hated the movie. There is a moment in the first 10 minutes, though, where that gave me a little bit of hope as well, where there's the guy who's like one of the IRA people who is singing on the street, like basically busking. (laughs) And he's just like playing a ukulele or something. I don't know, like a small stringed instrument and singing. And the black and tans come up and like frisk him. While he is busking and he does not miss a beat. Yeah. And it's like, oh, okay, so this is like, this is the life that they have. They're just so used to being constantly harassed that it happens and their life just continues around it. That was a really effective moment. It is the only good thing I can really think of. Yeah, my my last two positive points are at one point, Jippo says the long and short of it is... And I just like that phrase used unironically. I think people should bring that back. <laughs> like, I think instead of long story short, people should start saying the long and short of it is again. And five, no blackface. There's no blackface in this film. Oh, man. It's always bad when you've got to reach for no blackface. <laughs> right. But like, I did think, well, let's let's come out and say it. This could have been a movie where they just threw blackface in and they don't. So it's got that going for it. Yeah. <laughs> and honestly, that's ki- that's kind of it. I do like the political stuff, but it bothers me a little bit that I feel like they pull back from saying anything definitive about the core conflict here. I think in a way that's good because it leads to like small, subtle, interesting moments like the one you were talking about with the busker. But it also occasionally reads like, did we just not want to like take a stand here because we instead want to talk about like this one guy instead of the larger political thing so much which is too bad because i feel like there's definitely 
in the perspective of the director, there seems to be a feeling that the Irish should be independent and that the British are oppressing them. But that, yeah, it, it never just like takes that stance. Yeah. Which is too bad. I mean, I guess maybe, I guess maybe it does because the killing of the friend is so brutal that there's no way to read that as anything other than like, right, horrifying. But at the same time, it kind of wants to indict the IRA a little bit for Jippo's death. Yes. Which... One, just there's so many, again, specific details. Like they keep talking about how they have to kill him because he knows too much. And it's like, what would anyone have been stupid enough to tell this dumb motherfucker about anything in the world? <laughs> like, the... <laughs> I mean, yeah, fair fair enough. Like, what is what information does Jippo have? Like, it's and then, oh, God, his death scene. Oh, his death scene is like. It's so terrible on so many levels. One, the mom forgives him, which don't. Two, (laughs) like... Yeah, I mean, honestly, yeah. And granted, like, I was watching this sick, tired, and I had definitely gone back in the first, like, 20 minutes and kept rewinding, like, little parts because I thought I was missing something and I wasn't. Like, there just wasn't anything there to miss. But so by the time I got to the end of it, like, I was I was pretty infuriated. And it also comes after this whole, like, just incredibly melodramatic scene with Katie, his prostitute girlfriend, like, throwing herself around, begging for his life. And I'm like, who? why do you even care about this guy? He's a dick to you. He's also, like, just a complete jackass. But, of course, they had to do that so that Heather Angel... No. She's not Katie. Um, Who plays Katie? Margot Graham. So Margot Graham has like a big showboating moment. Right. So I was already just like really keyed up and annoyed. And then he gets shot and like stumbles into the church where the mom is wearing morning gear and like praying, I guess, for the soul of her murdered son. Yeah. And is like, no, it's, it's fine, Jippo. And, like, that's the extent of it. Where's the mom's big come-to-Jesus moment? I mean, I know they're they're Irish Catholic, so you don't have to do a whole lot of legwork about it. But any legwork at all about the power of redemption outside of this, like, mortal coil would have been nice if that's our big finish. No, but she literally is just like, it's okay, you didn't know what you were doing. Right, which everyone constantly (laughs) says. Like, he's not responsible for his own actions in this way that everyone just takes for granted. Where, like, then why did you waste so much of my time at the beginning of the film about him agonizing about it? Where clearly he did know that there would be consequences to this action. There's no part of this movie where there's any indication that the black and tans are just going to be like, okay, thank you for that information. Information, maybe we'll arrest him. Right. <laughs> so then we also have the very end of the film with his absolutely terribly performed death, where I literally wrote down, congratulations to Charles Lawton, no longer the worst performer of this year. <laughs> like, the, the, the like, single-handedly that death scene was so bad that I was like, you know, this guy would have been worse as Javert. That, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. No question. <laughs> I, like, I, because he literally goes, did you hear that? It's Tommy, right? What's the name of the friend? 
Frankie. Frankie, Tom, who knows? Yeah. yeah. Did you hear that, Frankie? She forgives me at the top of his lungs, throwing his arms out wide, and then just falls forward onto the floor dead. Yep. (laughs) And, like... (laughs) And he won Best Actor. He won Best Actor. To be fair, like, we haven't seen Mutiny on the Bounty yet, but Clark Gable is in it. Right. Like, come on. Yeah. And, like, Frederick March's performance in Les Miserables wasn't even nominated and was, like, a a thousand times better than this performance. God, yes. The other part of all the specific detail in this movie is it makes the middle of the movie so boring. From the time that Frankie is killed, you're waiting around for the trial scene. You're waiting for the part where he has to face some consequence for this action. Mm -hmm. For... Over an hour, probably, but just barely over an hour. That's the part where I really started to think about the older, like, 1927, 1928 films where they didn't understand pacing yet. Yeah. (coughs) It is so badly paced, and it's also, it just makes the movie so boring. Mm -hmm. You keep waiting for there to be a point to scenes before finally going like, oh, this, there is no point. Or... More often than not, the point of the scene is the, like, exit from the scene. Like, the big showy shot through the crowd to the IRA guy investigating him. Right. Through the window, where you figure out, oh, absolutely nothing in this scene was relevant, except for that he's outside the window. The only reason this matters is that he now has more evidence that Gippo did it. Gippo, I can never, whatever. It's Gippo. It's Gippo, but, like... Eh, whatever. I don't want to give this movie the respect of knowing how to pronounce the main character's name. <laughs> That's another thing, which I don't want to necessarily blame this movie for, because it might have just been that the restoration was very bad. But we were back to it being extremely hard to understand what anyone was saying in this film. At least in the edition I got off of Amazon, I had a really hard time from the way the audio was mixed figuring out what anyone was saying, basically ever. Part of that, too, was not just that the audio was bad, which it is, because I watched the same version, but there's a lot of really, really bad attempts at Irish accents in this movie. Yes. And none of them are consistent. Like, the only person who actually has a decent Irish accent is the guy who's busking on the street. (laughs) Yeah. And Jippo's, like, disappears about a, a... 10% 10% into the movie. The prostitute girlfriends is like such a disaster. And of course, as soon as she has her like big showboaty moment, it goes completely out the window because she's thinking about acting instead of sounding Irish. Oh, this movie is a mess. It's a real mess in this way where like, I think as a pair, the one that maybe irritates me even more than best actor is best screenplay and best director, because there's a real way where it's like, pick one, because one of those fucked up incredibly badly to handicap the other one. Like, either this movie had a competent script that was just dragged down by John Ford making the subtext text at every opportunity, and frankly, at some (laughs) non-opportunities, Or the script was so over-the-top terrible that John Ford had to do all of that shit. It has to be one of those. In fact, honestly, I think it's that both were garbage. But if you're going to tell me one of them wasn't, the other one absolutely has to be a comically terrible job. Right. And honestly, I'm going to lean toward John Ford's direction is worse and the screenplay's a little better. 
because there are moments where this movie has subtlety, like the blind man who follows him around as kind of this sort of spectral figure of guilt that the movie just cannot leave well enough alone about to make it actually subtle and affecting and interesting. Right. And like, I think there's a screenplay for a decent one act play here. What really makes me angry about him getting best director here is even though Aerosmith was like in in a number of ways, a total mess, it is so much better of a film than this is and takes on so much more time and so much more like, There's so many more places that it goes. And that was John Ford as well. And comparing the two, it's like a complete backwards step. Yeah, this feels like such a like passion project, but you don't have any understanding of what makes it work kind of a thing. Like, I don't know. Like, it's 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 just so frustrating. It's bad. But it's also so frustratingly bad in that just no element works. It's so, so hard to untangle why anyone would like this thing. Yeah, I don't understand it either. It's like I want a time machine to go back and be like, okay, guys, why? (laughs) What are you thinking? That's the thing that makes me so depressed about talking about it is like the thing I specifically wanted to push back again. I, I wrote a bunch of notes this week and I wrote notes because I sort of thought like, you know, a lot of the time I just sort of give you a raw emotional reaction to the film in a way that listening back, I really wish I could be more informative. I wish I could not necessarily be like, here's some fun facts about the production of the film, but could say more about like, oh, you know, this was going on. I bet it played well because of X and just... I sat there, I wrote almost 900 words, but they're all like a 300-word digression about how Zendaya is Mendici deserves all of the awards this won more than any this film does. <laughs> because you're just, I, I just sat there dumbfounded by how bad this film was for so much of the running time. It's really interesting that this is the movie that you took notes, like, really detailed notes on, and the movie I took really detailed notes on was Aerosmith. Like, they were both John Ford movies. (laughs) But also for totally different reasons. Like, I had to take notes on Aerosmith because so much happened in that movie in such short amounts of time that it was like, I had whiplash. (laughs) Here's the thing. I decided I was going to do that before I started this film and then immediately was like, oh, this was a mistake. (laughs) Not not for this movie. (laughs) But like, I'm going to I'm going to power through and keep doing it. So should we rate this movie? Yes, let's go. Let's go ahead and rate this film. I'm going to give it a two. I'm going to give it a two for it wasn't horribly racist. Yep. It didn't have retrograde social messages that were core to the film. Um, but otherwise, it's just a mess. From an aesthetic and a and a production value perspective, this movie, it's totally retrograde. It is not a 1935 movie. It is a 1928 movie at best. Yeah. I will say, should you watch this movie? Absolutely don't watch this movie. But if somebody wants to put themselves through watching the 1948 Screen Guild Theater TV production of this story to tell me if it's any damn good, I would really appreciate it. Yeah, I I would be okay with that. I'm not going to do it. No, absolutely not. But if you want to do it, that's totally fine. (laughs) And I'm certainly not going to watch the 1946 Academy Awards Theater TV production where McLaglen reprised the role. 
like, I never want to see this guy in anything ever again. Yeah, particularly because he feels like this was, like, the best performance he'd ever given. And I'm like, then I definitely don't want to see you in fucking anything. Yeah. So, our 52nd episode, kind of a disaster. I I mean, we're doing fine. But it it isn't the high note we wanted to end year one on. So I think instead we're going to be celebrating episode 53 next week. Our real one-year anniversary. Year two. Yeah, the start of year two. The real one-year anniversary of the start of the podcast. With Catherine Hepburn in Alice Adams' slightly smaller font. (laughs) This poster is horrible. Because that woman looks zero like Catherine Hepburn. And that dude looks nothing like Fred McMurray. And both of the people who are in this movie are incredibly good looking. Yes. And that poster does them no justice, but also looks nothing like them. The key piece of information this poster wants to convey to you is based on a book. (laughs) Spend so much space (laughs) letting you know not only is Alice Adams the author, but they're the author of a story. That was written down and put in a book. It's a book story, guys. <laughs> the illustrator for the poster definitely spent a lot more time on drawing the book than the two humans. Yeah, for sure. But often, terrible poster, great movie. And, you know, Catherine Hepburn, even in Little Women, which we did not necessarily love, it's entertaining to watch Catherine Hepburn always. That's true. She does sparkle. So yeah, I am... I'm looking forward to not watching this movie we watched this week. God, and (laughs) yes, I'm not gonna jinx it because I did say, like, God, we're never gonna watch a worse performance than Charles Lawton's Javert. It's just such... It's the worst casting I can imagine. And then the next week... At least Jippo is not a character that I expected much from. That's fair. He's not one of the great roles in the canon or anything. No, I've I'd never heard of him before, and I will try never to think of him again. Yeah, I think that's probably for the best. So until next week. This was this was a mess. A, this was a mess. <laughs> this was a one hour TV movie, but they didn't make those yet. And then this happened somehow, and God have mercy on the souls of everyone involved. Good night, everybody. (laughs) Goodbye.